Good evening, everyone. So Zen has a long and rich history. It didn't begin a few years ago when we started practicing it. It didn't begin in this century on this continent. It began almost 1500 years ago in China. And it's come to us across dynasties and cultures and eras, centuries. And it's landed here in our laps, right next to the Salish Sea, with the eagles flying overhead and the maples and the cedars in the forests. It's really a miracle. And Zen is filled with this rich history of poems and stories and koans and much of them seem to make no sense at all. Here's a couple of them. A monk asks Joshu, his teacher, does the dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joshu replies, moo. What does that mean? Here's another one. A monk came to see Mazu for the first time and he asked Mazu, what is the meaning of Zen? And the master said, bow down. And as the monk bowed, Mazu kicked him in the chest. What do we make of this? So how do we make use of this, this rich history if we can't even begin to get started with it? You know, when I first encountered these stories, I was, I was baffled. They seemed like gibberish. And in fact, I often got angry when I heard them. I thought, these, are, these just make no sense at all. This is just somebody messing with me. But they only felt that way because I hadn't let, yet learned to speak Zenglish. You know, Zen and English don't always go too well together. So Zenglish is the way that we can start to look into these and understand little bits about them. And I'm going to give us five different hints at how to use Zenglish to make sense of these old stories. But first I need to divert back a little bit in history. The the Buddha taught the early teachings um, into an oral tradition. So they weren't written down for some time after the Buddha taught. And he taught in such a way that they could be remembered. So his attendant, Ananda, who was his attendant for much of his life, had, a, by all accounts, a photographic memory. So Ananda is really honored in the early Buddhist tradition as being the one who, if the Buddha said it, Ananda remembered it. And then the monks and nuns could then recite what the Buddha said and they could pass it orally from one generation to the next generation to the next. And these early teachings of the Buddha were uh, about how to practice. So in our sutra book, we have some of those early teachings, like the four establishments of mindfulness, the eight realizations of the great beings, the discourse on the full awareness of breathing. These teachings uh, often contain lists and methods. And it is partly because of the oral tradition, I believe, but it's also partly because of the, the language that they spoke then. The languages of these early teachings are Pali and Sanskrit. And they are very analytical languages. Like English is an analytical language. 
Analytical languages are great for dissecting minutia, for coming up with process, for dividing this and that, and distinguishing this and that. But as a result of this, in the first thousand years of Buddhism, the philosophies that arose around the Buddha's teachings became so complex that in order to understand them, you really had to be a monastic or a scholar. They were, they were beginning to lose relevance to the people of, that lived normal daily lives. So as these uh, teachings got more and more complicated, these philosophies more and more complicated, at the very same moment, they arrived in China. And what they found in China was a completely different way of seeing the world and speaking about the world. So while the Indian languages were very analytic, the Chinese language was poetic and illusory. If we think about our, um, our famous analogy about the finger pointing at the moon and the moon, you could say that the analytic languages were doing a great job describing the finger. But when Buddhism got to China, the languages began to describe directly the moon itself. And, you know, Zen has really left behind much of the work of coming up with methods of practice. And it's talking about the destination of practice. Well, that's all well and good. But what's happened is that as that way of talking about practice, that thing that became Zen in China, Chan is what it was called in China, um, we're now trying to translate that back into English. And English is one of these analytical languages. So we're having a really hard time capturing these Chinese insights when we speak English. So just think for a minute about trying to speak English in a way that isn't dualistic, that doesn't divide me from you, this from that, self from other. You almost can't make a sentence in English that doesn't have a subject and an object like that. So it's sort of built into our English language that it's really hard for us to understand these, these insights of the Chinese Zen masters. And in fact, maybe we're even rehiding their insights by trying to put it back into English. So, Zenglish. Let's figure out how to speak English in a way that, that preserves some of these insights. So I want to, that's the little history lesson. So let's talk about these five hints for understanding Zenglish. Okay, hint number one. The Zen master is answering a deeper question than the one being asked. So anytime you don't understand why the Zen master has answered in a dialogue or a koan, the, the, answer, the, the question that way, begin to wonder, what is the Zen master really answering? Because it's been my observation that they can see quite quickly when the student is asking a question that they're really asking a deeper question, but the student doesn't know it yet. So the Zen master is answering that question. So, okay, let's make this concrete. Let's bring up some real examples. So remember, remember Shi Tao, the, the, the one who wrote our uh, Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage? He was the 
the a rock head they called him. That's what Shital means. He he had a he was a hermit that lived on a rock. So uh, one day he was asked by a monk, "What about liberation?" And Shital's response, "What binds you?" What about liberation was the apparent question. And the monk was expecting Shitao to say, well, here's about liberation, blah, 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 blah. But Shitao was actually answering a deeper question. What binds you? So here's another one from Shitao. Uh, a monk asked, where can I find what I'm looking for? And Shitao's reply, are you sure you lost it? The monk wanted Shitao to point him towards some practice or other that would help him find what he was looking for. But Shitao had a deeper answer in mind, a deeper question to answer. He says, are you sure you lost it? So here's, here's one more. This is, this is a, a, a dialogue between Daishan and Longtan. So Daishan was someone who would go on to become a really important Zen master. But at the time of this, he was a young man, and he was kind of full of himself, and he had a pretty boisterous and outgoing personality. So he, he was kind of a pain, actually, from what, what they say. So he was in a late-night dialogue with his teacher, Long Tan, and apparently pestering Long Tan with question after question after question after question. And I can imagine Long Tan just sort of allowed this to go on, allowed this to go on, and when, when it was time for this to be over, he, Long Tan accompanied Daishan to the door, and as Daishan was about to step out into the dark, Long Tan blew out his candle. So here's your question. What was the deeper question that Long Tan answered for Daishan? Anybody want to uh, chime in? What do you think? What was the deeper question that Long Tan answered for Daishan? Yeah, Gail, it looks like you are. So maybe how do I find my own way, my own answers? Beautiful. Yeah. Great, great. Others? It's sort of baffling, isn't it? It's hard, to, it's hard to even sometimes imagine. But what about this? Here's Deshaun asking question after question after question, wanting some sort of certainty, wanting some kind of an answer. And Long Tan sees as he steps out into the darkness, he takes away all guidance. And Deshaun steps out into a new understanding that he needs to step into the unknown in every moment. But maybe Long Tan couldn't have told him that in words. So that's one of the things that's really great about these dialogues, is that it invites us to look deeply into what we think is actually going on here. And I'm giving you my speculations, but, you know, what do I know? It's more important what you take out of this. So please take everything I say with a, with a great big grain of salt. Okay, so that was the first question, or first hint, is that the Zen master is usually answering a deeper question than the one asked. So how about the second one? The second hint for understanding Zenglish is 
Confusion is a good thing. Now that really goes against all of us that use analytic languages and all of the trainings that we get. You know, we're, if we don't know the answer to the test in school, we flunk, right? We don't get to go on to fourth grade because we couldn't answer the third grade, grade question. So it's deeply ingrained into us that confusion is a bad thing. But in Zenglish, confusion is a good thing. Let's go back to uh, Joe Shu's answer to the monk when the, then the monk asked, does the dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joe Shu answers, moo. Now, this is confusing already because we probably have no idea what moo means, right? So it's, it's confusing on kind of a, 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 an initial level. Um, but moo means not or no. Now, this would have been a very confusing answer for the monk because he, the monk would have known that the Buddha taught that all things have Buddha nature. So he might have expected to jo that Joshu would, of course, answer back and say, well, yes. But Joshu answered, Mu. What could he be meaning? What could he be meaning? Anybody have any idea? Why, why would he give an answer that seemed so contrary to what the Buddha taught? Baffling, isn't it? Margo, yeah? Um, sometimes I have a sense that Buddha nature is not. That it's <laughs> not. Beautiful. Excellent, excellent. So maybe the question really we should be asking here is, why is confusion a good thing? Why would it be good to be confused? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Margo. Margo. Well, Grace, Grace said. Grace. I was going to say, then you have to think deeply about it and look for answers, your own answers. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That, that, that's great. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Sandra. Um, I think when you're confused, you're not comfortable. Mm. And when you're comfortable, that causes you to look deeper. Great, great. Others? Uh, Sue? If you think that you know everything, it's that uncertainty that, you know, you don't know. And actually unknowing can be a good thing like the Zen mind, beginner's mind, where we don't know. Yeah. Yes, there's that truism that says, uh, in, in the beginner's mind, there are infinite possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Yeah. So, so uh, Joshu is intentionally offering a, a confusing answer that the monk can then carry. So this, this koan, and this is, this is the koan mu, and this is often a koan that is the first one that someone begins to practice with when they do the koan curriculum. Koan curriculum is different in different strains of Zen, but it has maybe 500 or more 
koans. And this is the one that most people begin with. And so you're thrown into confusion for days, weeks, months, years. It's not uncommon to carry your opening koan for years. And there's a real there's a reason here that confusion is good. And when we've 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 addressed that with some of your answers. You know, holding a question open allows insight to arise. If Joshu had answered this monk's yes or no question with a yes or no answer, it's done. It's over. The the monk would have walked away from that with certainty. But instead he gave him this practice of no matter what idea uh, comes into my mind, I will always moo and get rid of it and come back to the present moment and see what's, what's there right now. So that becomes this practice of moo. And if you do this koan with a teacher, the, the, the teacher will say, show me moo. And your invitation is to not describe moo, not to talk about moo, show moo in this moment in your life. So, confusion is a good thing. If you're confused by something that one of these old dialogues or koans says, great! Be with that. Let the confusion work on you. Okay, how about number three? Number three is that shouts and blows aren't about shouts and blows. So one of these, uh, one of the, the artifacts of this period of time was that this was a, a this golden age of Zen from about the sixth century through the ninth century uh, or tenth century in China. There were periods of this that were very difficult, very difficult, where two thirds of the Chinese population died in war and famine. So some of these Zen masters taught in a very direct style. Imagine a monk showing up at the door of the monastery and they were bereft because their entire family had died, their ancestral home was destroyed, and some of the Zen masters, particularly Mazu, was um, giving a compassionate act by not allowing that monk to wallow in their self-pity. They needed strong medicine to wake up. Strong, strong medicine. So here's a story. A monk came to see Mazu for the first time and he asked, what is the meaning of Zen? And the master said, bow down. And as the monk bowed, Mazu kicked him in the chest. Now it's said that the monk arose laughing and continued laughing for a long time after this. Okay, so I have to give you a little context for Zenglish here. There are, there are at least two standard opening lines in a Zen dialogue. A monk would come to the teacher and ask, what is the meaning of Zen? Or, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Those were both a way for uh, a student to kind of test the teacher. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you got, buddy. So those are standard opening lines. So this, this, this monk came in with the standard opening line. He wanted Mazu to show him his insight. What is the meaning of Zen? He asks Mazu. So what does Mazu do? He kicks him in the chest. 
Well, what could that possibly mean? You know, if you went to a teacher now, and you asked the teacher, what's the meaning of Zen, and they kicked you in the chest, they'd probably end up in jail, right? You, you, you wouldn't tolerate it. Um, but, you know, Mazu knew that then, like now, people are deluded. And you may have noticed from looking at our politics these days that a deluded person is impossible to argue with. We are deluded, and our supposed opponent is deluded, and so we are not going to make much progress arguing with each other. So that kick in the chest is Mazu's way of answering the deeper question that was then was asked. It says, be here now. Drop this speculation. What's that? That's a pain. That's real. That's now. That's Zen. That is the meaning of Zen. Not some speculation. Not some drama. Not some worry about the future or regretting about the past. Now. Boom. Right there. That moment. So if you want to know the meaning of Zen, it's exactly this experience in this moment. That's what Mazu's kick was meant to convey in the most direct way possible. It was, it's not a cruel or mean response. It's actually a very compassionate response because it's the most direct way to bring that person out of their delusion. So, that's not so distant from our own experience, I suspect. I have a question for you. When did a dramatic experience change your understanding? What was your kick in the chest? And what did it do for you? You know, for me, I was, when I first got my driver's license, I was sitting, uh, I worked till uh, at 6 to 2 in the morning washing dishes, and I was sitting at a stop sign at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I saw these headlights coming at me from behind, and the car just kept coming, and just kept coming, and just kept coming, and plowed right into the back of my car. And then I got out of the car, I was so shaken up, and the car drove away. All of a sudden, I had a different perspective on my own fragility as a 16-year-old boy. That was my kick in the chest, one of many. I suspect if you sit with this, you might find uh, your own kicks, your own shouts, your own blows, and you might even find how they were compassionate actions of the universe to help you move forward and wake up. All right, so shouts and blows aren't about shouts and blows. That's number three. Number four, the best way to say something 
is to say nothing. So uh, here's an example. So here's a playful exchange between two Zen masters. Now this one actually demonstrates all, all four of them. Well, I'll kind of I'll go into it, but I want to just give it to you first. Um, Joshu from Mu is on a pilgrimage. He's now uh, somewhere between 60 and 80 years old, and he's wandering the countryside. So he's no spring chicken. And he comes upon Master Lin Chi. Lin Chi is the very first master we credit with our line of Zen. Joshu was 30 years older than Lin Chi at this time, and Lin Chi was the master in a monastery. So Joshu wanders in, and he asks Master Lin Chi the opening line, what is the meaning of Zen? Sound familiar? And Lin Chi replied, as it happens, I'm washing my feet. And Joshu moved closer and made like he was examining Lin Chi's feet. And Lin Chi replied, looks like I'll have to throw out a second ladle of dirty water. And Joshu turned and walked away. Now, doesn't make much sense, does it? Right? So let's, un let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. <clears throat> so Joshu, when he arrives at Master Lin Chi's monastery, he throws out the first probe, the standard opening line. What is the meaning of Zen? Now, Lin Chi, I guess, doesn't know who this is, right? So he gives a reply. His first reply is to wash his feet. Now he thinks Joshu doesn't get this. So he throws out his first ladle of dirty water, the second best teaching, which is to say, as it happens, I'm washing my feet. Because he thinks Joshu's kind of dumb and he didn't get the initial teaching that what he's doing is he's demonstrating the meaning of Zen, I'm washing my feet, by washing his feet. Say, don't say something, say nothing. So Joshu plays along with this. He looks confused. He, he, he zeroes in and looks closely at, at Lin Chi's feet as he's washing it. And Lin Chi thinks, oh, this dolt doesn't get it at all. So he says, looks like I have to uh, send out an, a second ladle of dirty water. But Joshu, he knew what was going on. He turned and walked away. He says, the meaning of Zen is taking this step, taking this step, taking this step, taking this step. And Lin Chi knew that he met his match in this, in this little dialogue. <clears throat> so um, oftentimes you'll find in these dialogues that the Zen master sits silently and says nothing. And that's a really important teaching. Thich Nhat Hanh did this all the time. Thich Nhat Hanh walked into the Dharma Hall and that was the Dharma talk. But most of his students just didn't understand. So he had to throw out another ladle of water and talk about what he was doing. So this is directly related to, to um, this kind of a dialogue. If you ever wonder inexplicably why this Zen master doesn't say something, think deeply about what they actually are saying by saying nothing because that ends up being the purest teaching. Okay, so the fifth and final of the uh, Zenglish hints. 
Zenglish becomes clear and element, excuse me, Zenglish becomes clear and elegant as you become clear and elegant. So don't worry if these things don't make much sense. They didn't make much sense for me for a long time, and they often still don't make much sense now. You know, I'm, I'm now currently doing koan study, and so I face this over and over again. I face this new koan that I, uh, 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 what, I can't say anything. Confused, baffled, unsure. It's okay. We don't win when we're able to articulate something. That's not, that's not the point. The point is to hold ourselves open to insight. That's all we can really do. So this confusion is a good thing. If you don't understand, good, good. Be willing to be there with that. And then you'll find that bit by bit, this Zenglish begins to make sense. I've learned over the years to really marvel at the poetic brevity of the way these teachings were offered. You know, what used to seem like in, uh, intentional obfuscation and arrogant um, battling with, with, between student and teacher, I now see as the most direct and compassionate teaching that was possible. Kicks and blows aren't kicks and blows. A Zen master who doesn't answer is not an arrogant, dismissive Zen master. The non-answer is direct teaching. But until you can live those truths yourself, when you can see that your own silence in a room is actually the most compassionate act you can give, when you can see that your own direct action, even when it's misunderstood, is the best response that you have to a situation, it's hard to see the truth of these teachings. So that your understanding of the teachings and the teachings clarity to you, I mean, excuse me, your, your own developing clarity and the, the clarity of the teachings, they really go hand in hand. You see clearly because you are clear, not because the teaching has changed. So these masters are actually speaking respectfully to you across all these centuries. They don't see you as someone unworthy or incapable of getting it, whatever getting it means. No, they trust that you are as capable as anyone. You're as capable as them. You know, you have Buddha nature. You're as capable as anyone. So these, these teachings, as challenging as they are, are respectful and compassionate because you're able, you're capable. You're enough to meet them. So those are some hints. Please take everything I say with a complete grain of salt. You know, this is my view, and my view is necessarily wrong. You know, it might seem like 
my view is right now, but in a year, I'm going to look back at this and probably I'm going to say, Ooh, I got that. I didn't like that. Oh, 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 oh. So take what I say with a real grain of salt and go test these things out for yourself. Test them out for yourself. So that's all I have to offer. I'll close with a bell. <laughs>